What is up, designers? Welcome back to the Surviving the Cancel podcast. Um, this is part six of the series that I've been doing, how to properly build a call like attention around your unpopular opinion in the cancel culture era. Um, and shit, man, this episode is going to be a deep, deep episode because I've been going through the last few episodes and, you know, I've been talking pretty candidly about the situation, but I've been in a really good mood. But this morning, like, I don't know, like the reality of it all just kind of comes to the forefront sometimes and it just reminds you of how deep and hard and harsh some of these moments have been you know from the onset of this entire story you know the reason I decided to become a marketer and and start a business is because I want to make music because I want to make rap albums and in order to make rap albums obviously you need money it's a it's a business that doesn't necessarily give you a lot of return on your investment out the gate so you need to invest a lot of money just to make sure it even works and if you don't have money you have to be controlled by record labels and things like that and it compromises your artistic integrity so you need a business that's why a lot of people who get into rap were selling drugs before because they have the money to now invest in this new career pathway so basically you know i wanted to rap and so one i need a business for the money and two i had to learn to be a marketer supposedly because when you do, you know, you, you you partake in any idea and you want that idea to have mass, uh, it's a suppo- supposedly, you know, if there's an idea in society that in order to have mass to an idea, in order to get people to buy, you have to get people to buy into your vision. Okay. You have to get people to understand and rally behind and support what it is that you want to do. You know, even if it's not an unpopular opinion, you have to build a cult like attention around you know that endeavor that you're about to partake in and for me you know a lot of the ways that i thought to do it like okay if i want to have a rap career if i want to make this idea of me as a rapper this idea of my career a big and real and vibrant idea i'll have to rap i have to you know learn you know i'll help me i'll have to market you know i have to market to get people to partake in my vision you know um that's a lot of the things that i thought you know leading you know that that led to me you know pursuing this entire journey in the first place um and you know this entire series is really uh you know my understanding of how that isn't necessarily true that getting people to partake in a vision or partake in an idea isn't really just marketing it isn't really just stories it isn't really just convincing and persuasion you know it's a lot more coercion than than that in the real what in the real world and so you know, and, and um, there, there are sides to it that I didn't understand. And so, you know, to get straight to the story, man, where I left off last is I shut down the business that I was working on. And, um, you know, I also, you know, I just, I, I wasn't really making money. I just shut down the business and walked away from it because I wanted to, first of all, the business model wasn't right, you know, and I wasn't really serving people in the way that I wanted to. And it really didn't have the potential to be a massive idea because I really realized at that point in time that marketing wasn't the way to do it. Um, zooming in, I want to detail really the emotions around this entire situation because I really feel like I haven't done that justice. And then I'm going to continue along with the story what have what happened after I shut down this business. I mean, to make you know, to give you an overview of what happened after I shut down the business. Obviously, I'm in a completely separate state. You know, I don't have any friends or any family here. It's just me and my girlfriend. Um, we don't have any money. You know, I have, you know, that July of that same year, 2020, I, my bank account went so negative. It actually got shut down. I had about a 410 credit score, 433 credit score or something like that. Um, I'm a guy who believes that everybody should get what they want out of the world off their own strength. And, you know. I was surviving on government handouts. I'm still surviving on government handouts. Um, And, you know, money from friends and family and things like that. You know, I'm 24 years old and I haven't ever really driven a car. You know, I've driven once or twice or three times, but I've never owned my car. I owned a car halfway through my 20s and uh, I'm going through this life, you know, I don't mean it's, it's really I don't even feel like which I think my mother listens to this podcast with my father so shout out to my mother and father man thank y'all for everything um there were parts of parts of my own journey where I felt like I couldn't even go home because you know I wouldn't get the love and the approval that I wanted to without first achieving success 
And so you can imagine with these conditions laid out, what the day to day was like, you know, um, it's like even getting money from places that you shouldn't be and you can't even pay your rent with like how, how that makes you feel as a man when some of these nights where you have, you know, seven dollars left and you got to go to the local friendlies or not the friendlies. What's that place called? Jack in the Box and get this little cheap, weird meal and sit in the parking lot and eat and still be hungry afterwards because you don't have the money to afford anything else. Um, some of these nights grew, you know, grew dark and grew deep and it was a long and long, long night and long journey, man. And some nights, some days I still wake up, man, and look around me and like the journey as it is and it feels surreal. You know, it's this game that my girlfriend likes to play. It's called Dead by Daylight. And in Dead by Daylight, they're in this like separate dimension controlled by this like evil being or whatever. Um, and, you know, the whole objective of this game is that you there are generators on the map and you repair the generators. And when you repair the generators, exit gates open so you can escape out of the little dimension that you're in but what the survivors in this game don't know is that they escape out you know one area of the dimension and you just head into the next and it's an infinite cycle and um while you're doing this generators this big monster killer thing is trying to kill you and chasing you around and things like that um and sometimes it feels like that it feels like you know i wake up some mornings it feels surreal it feels like i'm i'm in a dimension meant to play with me meant to torment me and it's just it, it, it bugs me out in such ways, but fortunately for me, I'm a person that, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a persistent person. I have great resolve, and so most of the time, I'm in a very joyous mood. Most of the time, I'm very happy. Most of the time, I'm unbothered, but there are sometimes I'm just like, wow, that's 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 super crazy. You know, I was even saying day I come down here in the car often, and I listen to music, and sometimes I cry when I'm listening to music because it just resonates with me on a different type of level, and uh. One of the songs that I was listening to this morning, that I was, I just, I just started bawling. So you can probably hear it in my voice, man. Like it's this song. It's not the first time. It's like the fifth time listening to this music. Like, you know, is is this verse that J Cole had on the song "Born Sinner," and uh, this 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 just hit me so differently. So I want to read you this verse and kind of break it down and dissect it before I continue with the story a little bit. He said, "Yeah, this music shit is a gift, but God help us make it because this music business is a cliff." I got a life in my grip. She holding tight to my wrist. She screaming, don't let me slip. So she got he I got her life in my grip. She holding tight to my wrist. She screaming, don't let me slip. She see the tears in my eyes. I see the fear on her lips. It's true when I told you you the only reason why I don't flip and go insane. My roof in the pouring rain. You knew me before the fame. Don't lose you the more I change. No. Just grow with me, go broke, you go broke with me. I smoke, you gon' smoke with me. Moments curse since birth, man. Lead her to the hearse. I go Bobby, you go with me. Damn. You know? And I'm just listening to this verse and it's so reminiscent of my own situation, you know, because even, you know, at the onset of this journey, you know, my girlfriend wanted to go to Los Angeles, but it was ultimately me that was like, you know, that, you know, was like, like, I feel like she was going to go regardless. But, you know, people sometimes they're uncertain of, you know, the perils of the journey. And I, I reassured her. I said, man, I got it. It's going to be all right. And I ultimately dropped the ball on that. And it was a lot of, you know what I'm saying, it was a lot of tough times because I, you know, kind of, in a way, greenlighted something, you know, multiple legs of this experience that I was uncertain of myself, you know. I mean, of course, in my mind, like I said, I have a mind that always sees the best case scenario in likely, in most times, the best case scenario doesn't happen. And so we end up in bad situations because of it. And a lot of the times I felt like, you know, emasculated because I feel like I led her, you know, the person I care about to these hard circumstances and now it's on me and I have to watch this person suffer. You know, like the situation sitting out the Motel 6, Super 6, whatever they call it, and she has to pay on five different credit cards and embarrass herself and it's like, you know, the way that it affects me and the way that it reflected on me is just so depthful. You know, um, but the verse continues. He says, listen here, I tell you my biggest fears. You're the only one that knows them. Don't you ever go expose them. This life is harder than you'll probably ever know. Emotions I hardly ever show. More for you than for me. Don't you worry yourself. I got to do this for me. They tell me life is a test, but where does tutor for me? Like, that's real, man. Life is harder than people ever know. Emotions I hardly ever show, like for real. Um, pops came late. I'm already stuck in my ways. Ducking calls from my mother for days. Like, even those two lines, man. A lot of this journey, man, I've, I've, you know, felt alone, you know, uh, 
I'd say more recently, man, my parents and, you know, my bond with them, it just became stronger than ever. You know what I mean? I don't, you know, the love and, and, and the communication and the clarity between what we each feel is, you know, blossomed to a tremendous amount, you know, in this recent year, really. But I would also say prior to that, you know, I felt alone in my gambits, you know what I mean? And like, I don't know, like, man, there were very few people that really believe in where I'm headed and still and still that, that remains the case. There are very few people that really, you know, when you're a deserter of the status quo, there are very few, many people that really are going to feel what you have to say. And you'll face a lot of cancellation because of when you have an unpopular opinion, it's unpopular. And people aren't necessarily going to fill you out on that one. And, you know, I went through a lot of alienation. You know, we both went through a lot of alienation. I feel like a lot of my life, I've also misunderstood them. You know, people think it's not the responsibility of a kid to understand the parents, but I feel like it is. You know, I've done them a disservice. I misunderstood them. I didn't see where they was coming from. I never considered what they was feeling. You know, and when I them older, I'm like, man, y'all went through so much. Y'all went through a lot, you know, and I, you know, don't get me wrong. I think I was a very good kid. I think I was an exemplary kid, but I could have helped more. I could have been better, even though just being a good kid, like not causing trouble. I could have helped, you know what I mean? And so continue this verse. Sometimes I hate you. You know, he's a pops call late. I'm already stuck in my ways, ducking calls from my mother for days. Sometimes she hate the way she raised me, but she loved what she raised. Can't wait to handle these house keys with nothing to say, you know, except I'm a born sinner. It goes back to the hook. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, even that line, she sometimes she hate the way she raised me, but she loved what she raised. Like, I don't know, man. It just made me feel some type of way, man. And a lot of these moments are just, like I said, a lot of these moments are completely surreal. Completely surreal. And, and this is all, even still to this day, to get enough money to actually build a business get enough money to actually pursue a rap career which i'll never you know in a way where i'll never have to actually be profitable in that career so i can explore and create art and music the way i want that's what a lot of this is about um you know that's what's important to me and you know you should always listen to this podcast because this podcast is really like the blueprint for the first album this entire story that i'm telling is going to be flipped into an album because the concepts and the principles i think that I explain is I'm obviously the most important ones that govern my life. And I think everybody in the world should, should understand them. And also this podcast is a sounding board for what stories and what ideas really impact people the most. And those are, like I said, are going to be cultivated and used into an album that hopefully we can use alongside technology to change the world. Um, but yeah, man, uh, to continue along with the story, I shut down the business because I'm like, okay, to get people to engage in your vision, uh, to make an idea have literal magnitude. If it isn't marketing, then what is it? And so I went on a wild goose chase trying to find out exactly what it is that gives ideas magnitude. And the first place that I began was on the 30-day challenge with Stephen Larson. Uh, Stephen Larson, oh, it was Russell Brunson's 30-day challenge. Uh, essentially, it's a summit that he did where he got 32 Comma Club winners, which two Comma Club winners is somebody that made a million dollars in a funnel, a single funnel or more. Uh, and he asked them, um, essentially, if they lost everything and they only had a ClickFunnels account, how would they make a million dollars in a funnel again from scratch? Um, and Stephen Larson had a segment on there because he's a two comic couple winner. He's made a million dollars in a day. Um, he, you know, Stephen Larson's um, setup for the entire thing, um, you know, is, is the first segment of, interview you know the segment of content that really started made me ask questions about you know the true nature of marketing um and so a lot of his segment what he talked about i talked a lot about this on the podcast already so i'm just gonna cover it super briefly a lot of what he talked about in this segment was what he called purple ocean strategy and how uh essentially he talked about the power law and how the magnitude of an idea is this you know is 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 really based in the formation of a new category and so he talked about red ocean and how you don't want to be introduced into a red ocean because there's no way no matter how good your marketing is you could be the top of a red ocean and then he talked about a blue ocean and um how blue ocean ideas you own the entire market if you you know have a blue ocean idea because you're the first with that idea um and he talked about purple ocean which is a blend between but 
you know, what fascinated me the most in this conversation was not the whole idea of the purple ocean, which is amazing, but the idea of the blue ocean, because I really hadn't known that in order to have an idea of great magnitude, you really have to be the first to, you know, to do it. And, you know, he was the first person that pretty much suggested that marketing is based on, it, you know, marketing only works, you know, to get, you can only become the number one industry, not by marketing, but by being a category king. And so it really made, you know, led to me researching more of what that idea was. What does it mean to be a category king? And so from there, it led me through a series of his YouTube videos, Russell Brunson's podcast. I, you know, I'm just listening back and back to more episodes for, for because I've, you know, re, you know, I've listened to all episodes of Mar- uh, Marketing Secrets podcast by Russell Brunson. So it led me back to, you know, because I heard wisps of this idea when I was listening to the podcast, still working on the night shift at Target. And so I reminisced and, and, and heard like snippets in my mind of Russell Brunson covering this briefly. So I went through his podcast and looked for episodes where he talked about being the category king and level 10 opportunities and things like that. And uh, one story that I came across in particular was when he was talking about level 10 opportunities. And what he said, he was talking to some guy who was one of the best marketers that he's ever known and uh, has a whole entire library of marketing books and he's probably read them all and he sends Russell Brunson marketing books and Russell Brunson is a phenomenal marketer himself and one thing that they were both conversating about was that you know they were both insane marketers but while they were insane marketers their businesses you know were limited in their size their magnitude and their revenue whereas there were a lot of their peers that had businesses that were booming in insanely large businesses um but they were not very good marketers and i remember listening to this podcast so and feeling like i got another breadcrumb towards this truth that i was trying to discover and essentially the idea that they expressed in this podcast episode was the reason their businesses were booming is because they had what was called a level 10 opportunity even though they had a level two marketing skill set and so, whereas Russell Brunson and his friend had a level 10 marketing skill set, but they were performing in level two opportunities. And so what essentially was suggested in this podcast episode is not only is marketing uh, proficiency important in scaling an idea and magnitude, but there is a, a blueprint to how you define the level of opportunity that you're dealing with in the first place. And so you have to have a level 10 marketing skill set. Yeah, but a level 10 marketing opportunity is even more important. And Russell Brunson even talked about how, you know, he had multiple businesses before ClickFunnels. And though his skill set was uh, pretty much the same throughout all those businesses, they never made as much as ClickFunnels because ClickFunnels was a level 10 opportunity, which is now pretty much a billion dollar company uh, from scratch. He didn't take on any money. He did it all from his own dollar, from literal scratch. Um yeah and so that conversation really led me to it 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 it, it gave me another breadcrumb and it led me you know a, a little further down the path um i don't remember where i went i think i went to play bigger was the book i got after that but this series of you know this series of little nuggets that i was given uh that in, you know these series of carrots that i was given to proceed along the path guided me eventually to a book that i call zero to one I don't remember who suggested this book. I think it might have been Stephen Larson. Uh, I think I might have also heard it on Russell Brunson's podcast a few times. But, you know, it, it led me to this book, essentially. And whereas Russell Brunson, Stephen Larson, these are top of the line marketers, top of the line entrepreneurs. Um, but everyone else that's a marketer, everyone else that's an entrepreneur uh, on the Internet, um, they're strictly Internet entrepreneurs. Um and I, I was soon to discover that, you know, the, the blueprint that Internet entrepreneurs give people to, you know, uh, operate within, you know, through their courses and their products is the blueprint to building a small business. OK, building an idea that, you know, building a, a, it's essentially how you build an idea to a magnitude that is average. Um, small businesses aren't massive. They aren't global. They ain't worldwide. Small businesses is how you get an idea to a marketplace quickly, efficiently, and give them so-so revenue. Uh, but it can never be a billion-dollar operation because the DNA between a small idea and a big idea or a small corporation and a, a small business and a large corporation are entirely different. And so the difference between all that I'd learned before and what I was approaching with zero to one was zero to one was written by someone who was 
you know, into the business of not building small internet businesses, small ideas, small movements, but into the idea of building large billion and multi-billion dollar corporations. Um, Zero to One was written by Peter Thiel, you know, uh, who is worth about two billion, has a multi-billion dollar company in Palantir, uh, was responsible for, you know, PayPal, uh, alongside Elon Musk, he was a co-founder when their businesses merged. I think his business before was Confinity or something like that. Um, yeah, and I maybe that was Elon's. I don't really remember, but their business merged. Uh, he's also one of the first investor, public investors in Facebook, and so he's responsible for a lot of the biggest companies in the world being what they are. Truth be told, and you know he differs from the you know the original crowd that I was sourcing my information from because he's like a Silicon Valley guy. He's not about small business LLCs. He's about big corporations and only big corporations. Ideas that will change the world forever. And so, whereas before I was learning the DNA of small businesses that was based on marketing, he was going to teach something that was entirely different. And so, this was unbeknownst to me at the time. But I opened this book, Zero to One, and I started to read it. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I read it in the middle of the summer of 2020. Uh, and out the gate, this book was something that really fascinated me to a degree that I can even hardly explain. Like it was, it was, um, I don't know. It was so different than anything that I had learned on the internet. You know, the entire blueprint of how you create a big, you know, a mass movement or I, you know, a movement of, of great magnitude versus how you create a small one like it's it's so different like like even the way and i don't like it's different even the way they go about it is different you know whereas online internet entrepreneurs because they have the dna of their business have the dna of a small you know small idea um they do things like model what already works and like they essentially their entire strategy is to go and build something in a red ocean based on something in a red ocean uh, and that limits its potential, but they can get money off the bat. Then they can have a business virtually overnight because they just model what already worked. Um, in silica, you know, Stephen Larson's principle of the purple ocean, he's combining this, excuse me, the DNA of small business and big business at the same time. So he's taking a little bit of both of these ideas, which is amazing. Uh, also, what Russell Brunson has done with ClickFunnels, but you know, big ideas because they are unpopular opinions. Uh, because they're born in a blue ocean and they've never been done before and are unpopular by default. Um, big ideas, big business, big corporations. Um, the difference between them is that they are unpopular. And so whereas a small business is basically modeling what works and, and, and it's in the red ocean with these internet marketers teaching, you can just spawn it up like overnight and people understand the concept like a 7-Eleven or something like that or a course on how to make money online. It's been done so many times that the market is already educated on it. Um, they can be profitable overnight. Like if you see like a, a new 7-Eleven pop up in your area, a new Chick-fil-A, you can just walk inside because you already know how this works. Whereas something that's built in a blue ocean that has never been done before, um, you know, there's uh, the massive toll of actually educating the market on what the hell this thing actually is. And so, you know, billionaire, you know, billion dollar businesses, massive ideas are constructed in and funded in an entirely different way. You see in Silicon Valley, what they do is they get venture capital for their ideas. They get funding for their ideas because they know these ideas are going to be unprofitable for a multitude of years while the market catch ups to what the f catches up to what the future will be. The difference between, you know, what the billionaires do and what the Internet marketers do is that the billionaires, they construct the future. And what the Internet marketers do is they largely copy models from the past that already exist. One pushes the world forward with unpopular opinions and one just takes already popular opinions and clones them. Um, I want to do a break in this podcast right here because I don't want somebody to call me to lose this entire episode because I think it's going phenomenal. And so it might be a little jump in the audio. So to continue along the lines of what I'm saying, I'm learning about the DNA of what makes ideas of great magnitude here in this book, Zero to One by Peter Thiel. And so I'm listening along the book and I'm just like every chapter is blowing my mind part by part to by part by part. You know, this is one of the best business books I think I've ever read in my life um, alongside obviously the secret trilogy by Russell Brunson. I don't think there's a more impactful trilogy of books in the world than that. And maybe as individual books, I don't think there are more impactful books than books like dot com secrets that are curated with so much, I mean, expert secrets that are curated with so much 
share information of how to do exactly what I'm explaining in this podcast. So this podcast is all the series, the summit is all based on expert secrets. So in zero to one as well, which I think expert secrets is literally based on zero to one and play bigger. So, you know, you can see how these little nuggets all led back to the beginning. Um, but yeah, I'm reading this book zero to one and it was one day in particular that changed my, you know, my mind on, I don't want to say changed my life, you know, but changed my mind on, you know, uh, how business is created all together. Um, which was, this was really when my ghostwriting business died permanently. Like, okay, there's no way I'm going back. Um, so at the apartment that I stay at, when I exercise, I usually hit the staircase because, you know, I found my, you know, I started exercising over the summertime because I found that when I cleaned the room, I would be huffing and puffing. And that was, it wasn't really something I was used to. That wasn't a good sign. I'd be overheating and things like that. Also, when I climbed the staircase, I realized like by the time I get to the top, I would usually be out of breath and disoriented. And so I decided to pick the hardest challenge last summer, uh, in order to exercise. And so when I would go to exercise, I would go to this staircase. I explained this staircase, um, in uh, a separate podcast but it's just like any staircase in any building ever um it's like a long rectangular you know uh room sp- uh coming out of the ground with stairs inside that goes up six stories um now the staircase is you know it's, it's like any staircase it's like dingy and you know the floor is kind of like dirty and dusty and you know, um, but in the staircase, it has a, a window, like this big window on one side of the rectangular object. Um, and this window faces, um, west. And so through this staircase, you know, you're going up the staircase and on the west side of the building, uh, of, the, of this object, there's a staircase that faces the sunset. And, um, because of that, you know, even on some of these regular trips up the stairs during the summertime, when the sun's beaming through that window, the staircase might get pretty hot. And so this was one of those days I would go out into the staircase and jog up and down this uh, staircase at sunset and literally just watch the city. You know, first off, running up the staircase, I would rise above the city as I was running. And it would, it's a beautiful sight seeing over all the buildings, seeing the street below you become smaller and smaller and smaller, seeing the sun become more apparent as you rise to its level, uh, not literally to its level, but you know, it becomes a, you know, you're rising up the staircase as the sun is sinking. So it's, it's kind of, is coming down to your level. Um, and at the top of the staircase, you can see the Hollywood Hills. You can see all the way to the beach, you know, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really beautiful sight. Um, but it's also a massive undertaking of work. And so I'm jogging up and down the staircase in the summertime, pretty much every, every time I feel like it, because I'm not a super exercising guy, which is a completely other, some other, a completely separate topic. But I'm jogging up and down the staircase. I'm listening to Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Okay. And I'm struggling. And I'm, I got the one headphone in because I don't want anybody to surprise me with, when I have my mask off and get COVID by accident because it's the middle of 2020. I don't know what this disease is or anything like that. Um, so I'm jogging up the stairs, barely, you know, struggling, you know, not, not really feeling too good. I got my hoodie on and my sweats because I'm a wrestler and that's what I, wrestlers do, you know, and I'm just listening to this audio book. And... I remember there was a particular chapter in this audiobook. I don't recall the chapter, but the chapter discussed for the first time in my life, I heard what was known as the power law. Okay. And uh, I always do this when it comes to the power law, but I want to read it to you in case you don't know what it is. Um, I'm going to go to the internet and look up Peter Thiel's power law to explain to you the sec- the segment of the book that I heard that was really, as, a, as I'd say, insightful. Peter Thiel, power law. It's a Forbes article, I believe. Here we go. So, Peter Thiel, in his chapter of the book, he says, we don't live in a normal world. We live under a power law. And um, I remember listening to this chapter of the book, just kind of completely fascinated. Like, what Like what does that even mean? Um, and so, essentially what Peter Thiel said is this he said indeed the single most powerful patterns i noticed is that successful people find value in unexpected places and they do this by thinking about business from f- f- uh, first principles instead of formulas so essentially with that what i take that to mean is that you know your opinion if it if it you know if it is a blue ocean idea it is an unpopular opinion so you're already starting in the right place if you're listening to this um 
but I want to read this article further. It says, one many, secret, one many Secrets, Great and Small, revealed by Peter Thiel, the chapter called Follow the Money. Yeah, that's the chapter. I remember this chapter, Follow the Money, may be the most compelling. Okay, this is a Forbes article. So this is what he said in this chapter. He said, in 1906, economist Alfredo Pareto discovered the, uh, that became the that which became the Pareto principle or the 80-20 rule when he noticed that 20% of the people owned 80% of land in Italy, a phenomenon that he found just as natural as the fact that 20% of the pea pods in his garden produce 80% of the peas. That extraordinarily stark pattern in which a small few radically outstrip all rivals surrounds us everywhere in the natural and social world. The most destructive earthquakes are many times more powerful than all smaller earthquakes combined. The biggest cities dwarf all mere towns put together, and monopoly, by which he means extraordinary and therefore market-dominant, businesses capture more value than millions of undifferentiated competitors. Whatever Einstein did or didn't say, the power law, so named because exponential equations describe severely unequal distributions, is the law of the universe. It defines our surroundings so completely that we usually don't even see it. This chapter shows how the power law becomes visible when you follow the money. In venture capital, where investors try to profit from exponential growth in early stage companies, a few companies attain exponentially greater value than all others. We don't live in a normal world. We live in under a power law. So, OK, I'm going to elaborate on this further by reading this article a little more. But I want to I want to point this out. He says where investors try to profit from exponential growth in early stage companies, a few companies attain exponentially, exponentially greater value than all others. OK, combined. And so this goes back to that idea that I'm talking about. You either have a small business with small business DNA or you have a large or small idea, even if it's not a business, which we're going to talk about that a little more. Or you're going to have a large business with, a, you know, large business or large idea DNA. These two things are not the same. And everybody tries to find, you know, the difference. But the difference is explained here. Um, it's all in the power at all. You either will capture a monopoly or you won't. Uh, you'll be living in a red ocean where someone else has a monopoly. Um, the biggest business in each industry is many times bigger than the second place. Nike is like $30, $40 billion company. Adidas, which you might think is close, is like $5 billion. You know, so clear monopoly. And if Adidas is a second, think about all the rest of their valuations. You want to have a monopoly with the idea that you bring to the table? Or you'll be, you know, you'll, you know, or you won't have a monopoly and you won't be large or great or remembered in the idea or the business that you pursue. Um, and so I want to continue alongside, you know, this article. Um, the biggest secret in venture capital is that the best investment in a successful fund equals or outperforms the entire rest of the fund combined. And so the best company that you invest in will oftentimes be bigger than all the other companies in the fund you know, combined. You know, large idea DNA versus small idea DNA. Okay. This implies two very strange rules for VCs. First, only invest in companies that have the potential to return the, the value of the entire fund. So only invest in companies that have the, you know, the potential to make enough money to be more valuable than the entire fund already combined. Um, this is a scary rule because it eliminates the vast majority of possible investments. Even quite successful companies usually succeed on a more humble scale. This leads to rule number two. Because rule number one is so restrictive, there can't be any other rules. And so essentially what he's saying is follow the power law. Um, yeah, and that, that is essentially the nature of the world. A small minority outstrip all rivals. A small minority owns more stake in the world than anything else. And that's not a human thing. That's a natural thing. Um, uh, that, you know, it, it, it's with earthquakes. It's with plants. It's with planets. Um, we live in a power law. We, we live in a world where each category has monopoly. And, uh, you know, the DNA, you know, the, the way that people go about building big businesses and big ideas is that it aims to have monopoly, whereas the way we're taught with small businesses, it doesn't really aim for monopoly. It aims just to, you know, get out the gate and, and, and meet our needs as fast as possible. Give us money, 
give us the status that we want, give us the freedom that we want out the gate. It doesn't aim to change the world and actually be something that's mass. It's a small idea versus a mass idea. Uh, and I remember learning that principle from the book, and, it, it, and that was one of the reasons, like I said, I could never build a small ghostwriting business, a ghostwriting business, because I realized the ghostwriting, you know, industry already had a category king, and they were, you know, on top, and that would likely to not be changed. Uh, another thing the book Zero to One explains is that category kings really don't change throughout time. Um, the only thing that happens, they they will remain have to have a monopoly over their category. Um, the only way they're replaced is that a new and greater category is formed. Okay, so if, like, for classic example, I hate when people use classic examples and cliches, but it's the best way to explain what I'm talking about. Blockbuster has VH, VHS movies, okay? And Blockbuster was the category king and is the category king of VHS movies. If you're going to get a VHS movie to this very day, you probably go to Blockbuster. But, you know, Netflix was able to overcome them. And it's not because they made better, you know, they marketed better VHSs. It's not in the marketing. It's not because they have better VHSs. Uh, the reason is because they created a separate category, which was streaming, that they owned in 100. They were the, they were the category king of that category. Just why, the same way the Blockbuster was the category king of the VHS category. And their category triumphed the other category. Okay? And so... When you start to dissect this entire uh, book, uh, Zero to One by Peter Thiel, you start to understand, you know, one of the one of the major components of that book as you go on and on and on is the idea that uh, products are very important. Technology is very important. You know, they don't as much emphasize marketing in that book as the small business guys, the Internet marketers emphasize marketing. You know, that was one, you know, funny difference in, in, in my, you know, trials that I, that I, that I was noticing between internet marketers and billion dollar corporation CEOs, billion dollar corporation CEOs, Silicon Valley, they're all about technology and they're all about getting the best product, right? But these small companies, these small corporations, they were all about marketing products that we already have or that we already seen. They will always say, oh, model would work. So oh, don't reinvent the wheel. And this was a distinction that I, you know, I, I began to really keep track of. I didn't understand the gravity of what I was being taught with uh, zero to one, just as I read it. But it was an idea that with time I started to re-listen to and wrap my head around. And so I went on and moved on from zero to one. But after I finished it, I started to go, go and listen to more people with the Silicon Valley billionaire, you know, traditional corporate world type of space. You know, I started to listen to guys like Sam Altman or guys like Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn or, or the guy from Stripe. Um, or I started to listen to Eric Schmidt from, you know, CEO of Google, you know, which we know these guys' names a lot less than the guys who make internet marketing businesses because they're all over the internet and they seem like the biggest people in the world, like Gary Vee. Um, I started to listen to, you know, uh, Reed Hastings, who started Netflix. And the similarity that I noticed between all these people is that they really emphasize building great products. And so, you know, it, it leads me to believe that, OK, just like the book Zero to One said, products are one of the one of the the things that results in massive ideas, massive ideas, need massive products. I go from, you know, all of these interviews, you know, to the very, you know, one of the very massive, most massive companies of all time. I started listening to Steve Jobs interview. I remember this morning pretty vividly. Like, this is such a series of like, like such a rabbit hole that I went down. I'm trying to explain it all. I know I'm going all over the place, but it, it, it's insane from top to bottom. I remember one morning, this is right after listening to zero to one to completion. I couldn't sleep one morning. So I started listening to Steve Jobs interviews because I realized I'd never listened to one of the greatest business minds of all time. So I'm listening to Steve Jobs interviews. And uh, it was this one interview um, where I was listening to him. I made a podcast that morning. I was listening to him and he was like I was sitting on the toilet because I couldn't sleep. And he was talking about he was I think he was working at Next Time or something like that. But he was talking about a, a rival company called Sun or something like that. And he was saying one of the phrases that stuck out the most that he was discussing. He said, Sun, this company has greater distribution, greater funds greater marketing like all these different things than what they had 
And he asked the audience that he was speaking to. He was speaking at a college or something like that. He says, so how do you think that we'll beat them? And then he, you know, revealed the answer quite swiftly after. He said, we'll beat them by building a better product. I mean, even if you listen, and, and, and I remember that morning, like, getting in the shower and just thinking about it, like, you know, I always hear, oh, it's not the thing. It's the marketing of the thing. You know, model what works. But that was one of the first mornings in the shower. Like, I had to run downstairs to make a podcast. So it was such a visceral idea that, okay, it is the thing. The thing definitely matters a lot. The thing doesn't matter when you have a small business, but the thing really, really matters if you or a small idea. But the thing really, really matters if you have a big idea. You know, that was one of the that was the one you know, one time where the validity of the pattern that I was witnessing in 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 the corporate guys, the big company guys, really appear you know appeared to me for the first time. And so for the next couple of months, man, I just you know was trying. I just spent a lot of time trying to wrap my head around the idea. Of, and I made a lot of podcasts because I was on this time. You can go listen to those episodes of what made companies massive. And, you know, if it's, you know, it, obviously it's partially the marketing, but what do they mean by having a good product? What do they mean by products? And so really it was just a long, long, expansive time where I just talked about it and thought about it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I don't remember where I really came to this realization for the first time, but it was within the recent weeks where it, it finally kind of jumped out at me and this is my entire breakdown of the idea um man i wish i could remember the moment like there's so many different moments where i had light bulbs or epiphanies go off but really just recently um i realized that all of business no matter what business that you you know operate within is built to perpetuate an idea right all businesses is just you know is is a system that's meant to perpetuate an idea in the world. That's all business is. So if you're in an airplane business, you're perpetuating the idea that people should travel a lot. People should be able to see the places that they want in the world. If you're in the elevated business, you're the idea that people shouldn't have to take the stairs. If you're in the the weights and treadmill business, you're the idea that people should be live a fit and healthy life. You know, you're battling over what Owen Cook calls the Overton window. The Overton window essentially is the range of acceptable ideas. Okay, so essentially it's a battle within business to create, you know, to make an unpopular idea popular and celebrated within society at a mass level. All business is, is a system used to propagate and perpetuate an idea, to push an idea out into the world. And here's the thing. Um, I want you to think about racism, okay? Now, I talk about racism, and I say allegedly when I use racism because for, for reason I'll explain in a later episode, but it's not to be insulting to anybody. But allegedly, you know, all races experience racism. Well, I shouldn't even, I mean, I think that's quite obvious to some degree at least. But allegedly, you know, there are greater complaints and greater strife when it comes to racism from minorities right and the reason for that is because the problem that people are experiencing is not racism but according to these people it is allegedly systematized racism right and so if all races experience racism but only systematized racism is what aggravates people then it's not the racism it's the systems it's the systems that perpetuate an idea to a greater degree, in a disproportionate degree, degree, that 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 hurt people the most. You understand what I'm saying? It's not the it's not the racism itself. You know, because if people were just racist and it was just their opinions and they couldn't hold people away from jobs, they couldn't pay people less, they couldn't lock people up, they couldn't shoot people, um, it'd be no problem. You know, or if they got necessary punishment for it, 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 it'd, be no, it'd be no problem, supposedly, right? And so it's the system that people complain about. Um, you know, how valid these ideas or these complaints are. We're not here to discuss that because we're not discussing racism on this podcast. Um, because it's not something I ever want to talk about, you know? Um, but, you know, the idea that I'm going for is it's the system, okay? And just like Systems in reality uh, supercharge ideas. 
and, and, and literally lend them their power. When it comes to business, systems is what, you know, these are systems used to supercharge an idea. And so an idea in, you know, people, people try to push the ideas out into the world by marketing them and telling stories behind these ideas and persuading people to believe these ideas, right? But if you look at the history of the world, that has never worked, okay? Because all of these companies on the internet and all these huge companies in the world that are second or third place, they all have the same marketing tactics, essentially. It's not hard to replicate someone's marketing tactics. It's not hard to, to, to be a good marketer. It really isn't. You think Samsung, the number two, doesn't have the best marketers in the world with billions and billions of dollars flowing in their company? You know, keep dreaming. I mean, I, my personal opinion is that really the best marketers in the world are the guys online. You know, but like Russell Brunson said, they have level 10 marketing skill sets and a level two opportunity. What he's referring to when he says a level two opportunity is the system itself. Okay, Um, so people think that we can change the world and make ideas massive by marketing it. But what I'm suggesting here is that it's not the marketing that does it. It's a good system that does it. You understand what I'm saying? I know I'm kind of all over the place, but I really want to explain and get deep in what I mean right here. So. Here's the thing. When you market somebody, you try to persuade them of an idea. Okay. Um, you try to get them to believe in something different. But here's the problem with that, in my personal opinion. When you try to get somebody to believe in something different, um, you may get them to believe that thing. But that is not a statement on behavior. Because people very rarely behave according to what it is that they believe. You understand what I'm saying? So people believe the perfect body is one with six-pack abs. But their behavior doesn't suggest that, that it's, you know, it doesn't suggest that that's what they're going to do. You know, because people aren't governed by their beliefs. That's the problems that marketers don't understand. People aren't governed governed by what they believe. They're governed by their biology. You know, that's why, when, you know, you know you're supposed to wake up at 8 a.m. in the morning and do all the work and build your business. But what do you do? You sleep in every time. Because biology says, uh-uh, we believe this, yeah, but we need sleep. We want, you know, we want to do this. You know, you know you're supposed to eat healthy or your heart could explode in your chest. You believe that. You really do, don't you? But your biology is telling you, no, eat that bad thing right now. You understand what I'm saying? So changing beliefs is not necessarily the same as changing behaviors. You know, because we're not really governed by what it is that we believe. We believe a lot of things that we don't actually fall. People are Christians and they do bad all day. You know, what influences people, if it's their biology, is appealing to not only their beliefs with marketing, but fixing your system in a way that actually speaks to their biology and makes your option the path of least resistance because that's what the biology is going to follow. And so if you believe that you should be a certain body type, yeah, that's cool. But if you force the behavior with a system, like maybe a new system is, is a treadmill, more people are probably skinny now more than ever because of the advent of new technology like the Peloton and treadmills that make it easy to work out. Instead of going outside in the rain, in the heat, in the snow, wherever you, you can work out wherever you live at all times a day because it's a better system. And your biology recognizes that, okay, we can actually do this now because it's not too hard on us, you know? Whereas you can believe things, behavior is largely influenced by how good of it is a system that allows you to pursue that belief without too much resistance. So you can believe that people should travel all day. But if people were had to travel across seas on a boat, like in the Christopher Columbus days, how many people would travel? It wasn't to the you know invention of airplanes that people really started to say, hey, I'm going to travel the world. Because where they believe things, their biology said, no, it's a little too hard. But a system made it easy to say, okay, now we can partake in this idea. Marketers try to influence beliefs. Small business is all about changing beliefs. But people don't behave the way they believe they should. And that's why these ideas have such a small following. A small, or such a sm- they're so small. They're tiny ideas. The biggest ideas in the world are ideas that force people, that force biology, that allows biology to more easily participated in what it, what it is that people believe so you can't just have a belief you can't just teach people things you have to have a system that forces them to actually be accountable for what it is you know to actually align with what they believe 
You have to for you know a portion of society you can change what they believe and they'll go all day. I think they call those the early adopters. But the rest of the society, you really got to hammer down on them and make sure that they do what they're supposed to do. You know, you have to leave really no option, no other option. People know that you should be nice to people. Until you start forcing people or banning comments on Facebook to make people be nice to people, it won't happen. People know that they should, you know, not kill, steal, murder. They believe that. But until you put the prison system in place, you can't really stop that problem from happening. You can't really shape the world a particular type of way. It's systems that change the world, not beliefs. So it's not in the marketing. It's in the system. And business is a system designed to push out beliefs. Business is a system that no matter what idea you have is how you're going to propagate your belief and, you know, to push out your belief into society in the modern world. Where I think big corporations differ from, you know, small business, small corporations that many small corporations, they have, you, you, you operate on a scale where you have the exact same system as everyone else. Okay. Uh, if you're a, a store that sells fruit, you have a store that sells fruit. You have the exact same system, you know, to deliver that fruit and that, that service and that idea as everyone else. If you're an airplane company, you have the same exact airplanes. If you're a car company, you have the same car. There's no inherent advantage to your system. And so, so, so you have a system that's the same as everyone else. So you don't actually reap an advantage from that system at all because everyone has it. Okay. It's like systematized racism wouldn't work if every minority had the same system as the people who are perpetuating systematized racism, supposedly. Supposedly. Okay. Now I say that because, like, like I say, I, I don't know. I don't even want to, I don't want to get into that, you know. But I, I do want to say on this podcast, man, I'm not blaming any collective or any group for anything. You know, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to dis or disrespect somebody because they belong to a group, you know, of people, whether that be women or white men or whatever the, you know, you know, I, I think a lot of that is causing, it's a bad way to go about things. But, you know, continue along the lines of what I'm saying. Um, you have the same, if everyone has the same system, then essentially a system doesn't exist. And I think what this book, is, you know, and what people try to do is, okay, we're going to actually market more to try to force this system to outperform other systems where really the system is the most significant piece and not the marketing because anybody can market, anybody can campaign, anybody can, you know. And so what I think was being mentioned in this book, Zero to One, um, and within all these billionaire guys, what they're discussing is that when you have a system that's better than every other system, then suddenly you have a significant advantage when it comes to pushing out a new idea. You have a significant advantage to when it comes when it comes to pushing out unpopular opinions. And so there's the opinion that people should stay home and watch movies. Every you know, you a billion dollar company blockbuster, you have the best marketers in the world, I would bet. You can hire them and you pay them the most and no one can dispute you on that. But where you have the best marketers in the world, guess what? Streaming is just a better system for doing what it is that you propose that people should do. It's a better system for enforcing a belief. And so Netflix wins every single time because the biology, you know, it, you know, you believe that you want to sit home and watch movies. You've convinced the market of that. But biology suggests I want to sit home and watch movies without going out and picking up a VHS that I have to rent and be late on the fees and go through all this, you know, actually drive down the street to get. I just want to turn on my TV and watch it. Simple, right? And so you have a better system to enforce the belief. So your category and your company ultimately wins and becomes one of the largest in the world. You don't think Blockbuster, who made tons more than Netflix, had better marketers? You understand what I'm saying? Like, it, it, it really is all in the system. And so what I think was being emphasized, just to nail it down, one concrete statement is that when you have a better system, that is what they refer to as technology. And so while marketing is a significant component of pushing ideas and popular opinions and building cultures around them, a large portion of society, they won't listen to your idea or, or behave as if they understand your idea until you make them. Until you speak not only to the forefront of the brain, but the biology, but the, to the animal underneath. And so the only way to do that is to 
have a system to do so, right? But not have the same system as everyone else because there's no inherent advantage in that. But to have a greater system, to have technology. So when you pair marketing with technology, that's when you have ideas that become, you know, that's when you have the level 10 skill set, level 10 skill set and level 10 opportunity. That is when you're able to build massive ideas. And that's why if you look at the internet game, folks who've been in it for decades, like Tony Robbins, haven't built billion dollar companies. But Russell Brunson has. I don't really think there are any internet marketers other than Russell Brunson has built a billion dollar company, a billion dollar company. And a reason for it is because when it comes to his sales system, he has technology. He's literally credited with popularizing the idea of the sales funnel. That is technology. He has a superior system to all his competitors. You know, he also has proprietary technology and the fact that his software, you know, is, is literally, there's an idea that you should sell stuff online. He has technology that enables you to do that far more easily and far more successfully than any other technology on the planet. Now, I know he says it's not the thing, it's the marketing of the thing sometimes, but I don't think he means it like that. You know, Russell Brunson's too brilliant to, 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 you know what I'm saying? He, he's made the episodes that I'm talking about, so he knows the, you know, these ideas. I mean, I think he recognizes that his businesses was, I think he's talking to people who wants to build a small business. I think he recognized that his business had an advantage in the fact that it had technology, and that's what made it what it was alongside his marketing expertise, which he's a brilliant marketer, you know? Um... It's not just in the marketing of the thing. It's in the thing also. It's the point that I'm trying to bring in this podcast episode. And I want to conclude this by saying this. These are just something that I suppose. I suppose this to be the truth. You know, as someone who is going through the situation I'm going through, you know, how can I confirm this theory? And so when I realized that, okay, it's about building technology around perpetual ideas, um, my first instinct was to come make a podcast and make a course and teach you all about this and have you ch- charge you for it. But before I do any of that, what I want to do is actually solidify whether this idea that I'm expressing is the truth. And so the best way to do that is just to go and ask people who've already created big movements and big ideas around their unpopular opinions here in society. Okay, and so that's actually where the idea of the surviving the cancel summit comes from. Okay, and there are so many layers to this idea of surviving the cancel. There are so many layers to this summit. The first layer is okay. How do you become a person that's you know healthy enough and able and you know and therefore able to empathize with people and understand which unpopular opinions are 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 ripe to harvest in the first place? How do you understand? How do you become an empathetic enough person? To, because a lot of people, they take their unpopular opinions and they're destructive and mean and bad ideas, okay? How do you become a person that's empathetic enough to understand what it is that society really feels and what it is that they really want and from that derive a true unpopular opinion that needs to be, you know, something that needs something created around it? You can't just have a wild, off-the-wall, unpopular opinion in the crazy zone like, okay, well, I think that all people should die. Uh, that's, that's, that's just bad. Business is made to solve a problem. How do you, you know, how do you look at, you know, how do you find the hungry mouths that aren't getting fed? Is essentially what I'm saying. So to ensure that you're always doing good for the world, there's this uh, thing in one of Russell Brunson's books. It's, it's a scale. It's called the, uh, what is it called? Um, the the what's the peak word? Not profitability. Is uh, prolific index. Um, and what the prolific index is is prolific is like, you know you know, uh, having great, great being, I don't know. It's hard to, let me just look at the definition of it. Prolific is like, uh, when something is well adopted, I guess, you know, or well producing, but let me just look at the textbook definition. Prolific. Prolific is producing well, present in large numbers or quantities. Okay. Essentially, the prolific index describes which ideas have the ability 
You know, it's, it's basically how you rate unpopular opinions, which ideas have the ability to become massive and which ideas are so crazy that no one even understands. On either ends of the prolific index is the crazy zone. In the middle of the prolific index, it's the mainstream. And in between the crazy zones and the mainstream is the prolific zones where unpopular opinions that are ripe come from. And so how it is that you gauge what society, what sectors of mainstream society are feeling, you know, are the hungry mouths that are getting fed and, and really help them. That's what the first layer of it is about. But the secondary layer is once you become a person that's truly empathetic and you understand that, okay, there's a section of society that are feeling things that we have to solve um, and that you know what they're feeling to a T. Uh, once you have those unpopular opinions and you want to solve them, the second is, okay, how do you actually get people to partake and indulge in that vision so that envision becomes a mass movement? And, you know, because most mass movements are based on this in the modern world, a mass company. Um, you know, so with the summit, you know, essentially what I did with the summit is I took 30 people who've actually done it, who've taken their unpopular opinions or unpopular opinions in society and blew them up. Big business leaders, uh, essentially business cult leaders, near billionaires or billionaires with massive companies uh, who've built them up from scratch from day one. And I've essentially asked them how it is that they take their unpopular opinions and make them popular. How is it that you take your unpopular opinions? Because people don't even know that this is a viable business model. You know, uh, you know, creating social movements uh, is a viable business model. That's why you see like people like Joel Osteen, pastors and evangelists and things like that are mega rich. Um, the Pope and whatnot. Um, because you actually, it's actually a very profitable endeavor to take your unpopular opinions inside and the popular opinions in society and make mass movements around them. But I ask these people, uh, business and cult leaders, you know, essentially, how do you take the unpopular opinions that are inside you and profitably build a cult-like attention around them here in an era where no one wants to hear unpopular opinions? And so uh, that's essentially what the summit is 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 all about. I took 30 of these people and just just asked them blatantly. And these people are mega successful and, and like I said, have done it before. And, um, you know, I've recorded those interviews and um, they're, I, I'm actually giving it to y'all because I, I think it's something that you know, this information is extremely important to me because it's something that would have helped me when I was living with my parents and they really didn't understand the ideas that I was expressing. If I could just take those ideas and unpopular opinions and get people even in my own, you know, little society that I was living with to understand and become fans of these ideas, then, you know, I would have been able to survive my own cancer. I wouldn't have been kicked out and had to move across the country and things like that. We could have lived a, you know, great, happy life all together in circumstances that that drew on me emotionally you know would have been averted altogether it would have been a great time a very happy time for everybody if i could have just learned what these billionaires had to teach and also i could have also got a lot of people to engage in my vision of being being a rapper four years five years nearly sooner than where i am at now you know um i think it's uh an important thing for a lot of people in here in society to get people to engage in their unpopular opinions to get people to engage in their you know their vision and not only engage in a way where they understand it but engage in a way that they're supporters and diehard fans of it uh and to grow that you know that idea into something that's massive and a massive movement in society in a way that's profitable because we all have to live and so these summit speakers you know just to confirm what i suppose is the way to do it uh i got them all you know to tell you 30 you know in you know how they would do so in 30 days, literally step by step, day by day. And you can listen to those interviews for absolutely free at www.survivingthecancel.com. But here's the thing. Um, Survivingthecancel.com, it's, you know, the registration right now, it's closed. You can't register. It's free. It's absolutely free. But you won't be able to register for this actual summit and listen to these interviews until April 10th. Okay. And it'll only be open for 24 hours. And if you miss the 24-hour window, you may never be able to listen to what these speakers have to say ever again. So if you want people to engage in your unpopular opinions and to engage in your, your visions and become diehard fans and supporters and push those um, ideas, that vision that you have to mass adoption, then you got to go to www.survivingthecancel.com. These people who've done it are going to teach you how to do it. Okay, but registration will only be open for 24 hours on April 10th. If the date is beyond April 10th and you're listening to this in the future, registration may have a chance of opening again. 
but I don't think it will, but it may. Um, you know, if you want to learn whether it will open again, you'll have to go to this podcast and continue listening or go to the site and there may be a time or a date where it will reopen. I'll let you know and keep you up to date on that. But www.survivingthecancer.com. Um, that is really all I have to say in this podcast episode. Um, but yeah, I think ideas, you know, you can build cults around ideas and very massive cults around unpopular opinions, not just through marketing, but building better systems, build great technology. And really, a lot of times it's just in the form of products that where the marketing speaks to the forefront of the brain and the beliefs, the technology forces the subconscious, it forces the 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 animal brain to comply as well. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that that that. that that is really the secret right there. Um, but I don't want to drag this podcast episode on too long because it's already an hour long. But my name is Dallas, and welcome. To, if this is Surviving Cancel Podcast. Please rate this podcast and you know, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed this series. Um, I'm sorry I fizzled off in terms of energy You know, towards the end here. I'm actually pretty tired. Um, I haven't eaten anything today or anything like that, so I'm going to go eat. And uh, just thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Peace out.